Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of CanardCast, a podcast for rattan design and rattan-inspired canard aircraft. CanardCast is a production of the Canard Owners and Builders Association, and information on how to join will be provided at the end of this CanardCast. Good day, and welcome to another episode of CanardCast. I'm your host, Izzy, and today's guest is the brilliant and accomplished Mr. Mark Zeitlin. Mark, with a C, was born on the East Coast and now lives in Tehachapi, California, not far from the birthplace of the Rutan Canard Revolution in Mojave. Mark operates his hand-built Cozy Mark IV, November 8-3 Mike Zulu, called Precious Time, from a hangar he shares with the legendary Mike Melville. Mark shares his home with his beautiful wife and accomplished artist, Deanie Zeitlin. Taking a ride in Mr. Peabody's Wayback Machine, you'll find Mark's interest in aerospace started in his childhood when he fell in love with airplanes. First learning to fly gliders, Mark later received his power rating in the early 1980s. Among several early accomplishments, Mark completed a Quickie Q2 and graduated from Massachusetts Institute of Technology with a bachelor's and master's in aeronautical engineering. Mark Zeitlin is a recognized expert in the canard community and applies his deep aeronautical experience in a variety of ways. Mark's contributions include the free internet support site named the Unofficial Cozy Builders website, and additionally, the Cozy Aircraft Builder mailing list. Mark also assumed responsibility for the Cozy Forum at Oshkosh on behalf of the Cozy designer Nat Puffer. Mark subsequently presented for 14 years, including the popular presentation, Cozy Mark IV Aircraft, Soup to Nuts. Mark continues to inspect, repair, and improve a statistically significant portion of the fleet of home-built canard aircraft, reporting hands-on work with around 90 unique end numbers. Mark's efforts help keep our cherished aircraft safer through countless condition inspections and pre-buy examinations. Mark used his Cozy Mark IV precious time to give dozens of active and prospective Cozy builders first canard flight incentive rides, some of whom may be listening right now. Mark also enjoys inventing ways to escape yard work. Links to Cozy support site, his company Burnside Aerospace, and details on how to register with Cozy aircraft builder emailing lists are available on the Canard Owners and Builders website. Well, good morning, Mr. Zeitlin. How are you today? I'm doing all right. Uh, glad to be here, and uh, thanks for the invitation, Izzy. A beautiful, sunny California morning, and I'm looking forward to this. Well, that's uh, that's great. I'm glad you're able to, to, to get onto the system well. We have a couple of questions for our listeners, and we appreciate uh, your candor and uh, your honesty in uh, as bold and bald-faced as you're willing to share. So uh, on um, one of our first questions, uh, I wanted to ask you about your uh, aviation history. And in your profile, you mentioned you designed an electromagnetic glider launch system. And I really want to hear more about that. And I think maybe some of our listeners do too. Can you tell us about that and maybe some of your other early interests in aviation? Sure. Um, I, I have to say that my interest in, in airplanes uh, extends a lot further back than, than that I, in college. I, I got interested in airplanes as far as I can tell from what my parents tell me. When I was about three years old, when we went to Florida uh, on commercial airliners with my grandfather to go on a vacation, and I just fell in love with the whole idea of airplanes, always loved them. 
must have built hundreds of model airplanes when I was a child, uh, extending from the time that I had enough uh, allowance money to, to buy my own models. Built plastic models, built balsa wood models, uh, control line. I'm not sure anybody remembers what control line airplanes were anymore, but um, uh, built a bunch of those and uh, a few RC models. Now, I won't say that I flew the control line models or the RC models much because I was a terrible uh, control line and RC pilot, uh, but I loved building them. Uh, and my parents' uh, attic and basement were filled up with the models that I built. And I continued building those uh, all the way through high school. And uh, when I got to college, um, uh, I majored in aeronautical engineering uh, at MIT and um, uh, then uh, decided after interviewing with Boeing and Rockwell and Northrop and all the large aerospace uh, firms that there was no way in hell I was going to work for any of them because they were god awful. Uh, but uh, I decided to go back to, to school and get a master's degree, also in aeronautical engineering, and I needed a, a thesis project for my, um, um, for my thesis and to get the school to pay for my education since my parents uh, weren't going to. So um, I was wandering around the hallway and I saw a flyer up on the wall one day that said, we want somebody to work with us on an electromagnetic uh, glider launch system and design, test, build and test a, uh, an airplane, a model airplane. And I thought I was being pranked because this is what I had spent my whole life doing was building model airplanes. And here was somebody saying, we will pay for your master's degree if you build us a model airplane. And so I ran over to the National Magnet Lab where Henry Combe, who's the guy who uh, also invented the um, uh, electromagnetic levitated train, uh, was, was uh, starting the design of the, an electromagnetic launch system that would eventually turn into what they are now starting to put on nuclear uh, uh, aircraft carriers to launch airplanes rather than using steam catapults. They're starting to use electromagnetic catapults. And this was the genesis of that. And so uh, I, I was interested. Uh, I apparently was the first person to hit them up and uh, they asked me to join the project. So I got to design a, uh, an airplane with about a five or six foot wingspan that got accelerated at 200 Gs off of an electromagnetic catapult and launched into the air above Briggs Field at MIT early in the morning so that when it came down and uh, landed, it wouldn't kill anybody. And um, uh, of course, they wouldn't let you do that now, I'm sure, but uh, 40 years ago, uh, did things a little differently. So that was, uh, that was basically how I got into uh, aviation and um, fell in love with it and got to do something really cool that, that 40 years later has turned into uh, something interesting that the Navy uses. So you got inspired to build an actual plane then, and uh, it sounds like you built a Q2 or you were involved in building a Q2 and uh, taxi tested it and some other things. Where's that plane today? That's uh, an interesting question. Um, I, I was, um, I had just graduated college. I had a job, I had a little bit of money and um, I picked up a copy of Popular Mechanics one day and there was a picture of a quickie Q2 on the cover. And I read the article and, and I was flabbergasted that you could actually build your own airplane. That was something that, that had never even occurred to me as a concept, even after having built all the models. 
And so I started doing some uh, research and, and found out where you bought the kits and I had enough money and I, I scrounged up some build space, uh, a hanger, uh, not a hangar, but a warehouse space that MIT uh, allowed me to use uh, and started building. And today I believe that airplane, well, the, the last I heard was that it had been dragged out by the fourth or fifth owner to uh, Arizona uh, a guy named Jason Frisbee, I think, uh, was the last known owner. I have lost contact with him uh, over the past 10 years or so. Uh, but uh, the, the, I built the plane. Uh, I taxi tested it, nosed it over, broke the propeller, bought a house, had a kid, uh, lived far away from where the airplane was, and decided that uh, there was no way I was ever going to have the time or, or ability to finish it and fly it. Sold it to a guy named Mark Kettering, who actually runs a company now that uh, builds automotive conversion engines uh, for home-built aircraft. And uh, I think it's Air, uh, Aero Momentum is his company. And then he sold it to someone who sold it to someone else who actually got it flying. Uh, flew a few times. I don't think they flew it a lot, but he, they did fly it. And I was very happy to hear that something I had built hadn't killed anybody. So that's good. It then got sold to Jason Frisbee, ended up in Arizona, and I have no idea where it is now. Well, that's uh, that's quite a uh, that's quite a history with that plane. I'd be interested to see where that uh, see where that see have that show up at one of the events here in Copper State or or Canab sometime. That'd be that'd be fun. It would I, be um, very cool. I know that you. Uh, and a lot of our listeners know that you're deeply involved with supporting the cozy community and uh you also own a uh cozy that you built called uh precious time uh, november 8-3 mike zulu uh what uh at what point did you decide to build the cozy and, and why did you select that design uh so a few years after selling the um the quickie um the q2 whose name was fido um I, I was itching for a project. I needed something to do. Uh, and we were living in a house in Acton, Massachusetts. Uh, I was working for Hewlett Packard. I was out on a business trip in Greeley, Colorado. And um, uh, I got there on a Sunday and before the meeting started on Monday. And uh, I was wandering through a bookstore and I saw, I think, Kit Plains magazine. And there was a um, Seawind on the cover. And I thought that was an interesting looking plane. And I started thumbing through the magazine. And in the back of the plane, uh, in the back of the magazine, there was this uh, Nat Puffer's little square cozy Mark IV advertisement. And the light bulb went off over my head, which was, oh, my God, I got to build one of these things. Uh, I had a family. We, there were three of us. So a two seat airplane wasn't going to work. Uh, I had always loved Burt's designs, starting from the, the Quickie. And uh, I wanted a canard airplane. I liked working with composites. And so the, all, of, all the pieces just sort of fit together uh, on this. The other thing was that it was a plans-built airplane, not a kit. Uh, obviously, I considered uh, the velocity. Um, but at the time, I didn't have the money to buy a kit, and I wasn't going to borrow money to do it. So I had to fund uh, the build out of cash flow, and the plans built system obviously allows you to spend money as you go along. So uh, I came home and I said, hey, uh, I want to build this airplane. It's going to take me 
three years and cost 25,000 bucks. And Dini said, go for it, but you got to finish the deck on the house first. So I was the only idiot in Massachusetts out building a deck in, in November and December um, uh, to get that finished so that I could start building the airplane in the January, February timeframe. And uh, so that was kind of the history of how I, how I uh, got to that. I, I wanted plans built. I wanted a canard. I wanted composite construction and I wanted four seats. And there really only was one, one choice. And I'm certainly um, very happy that, that I did it and, and it was the right airplane for us. So I guess my main takeaway from that is, is you can come to my house and finish my deck so I can work on my cozy four. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I would have taken away from that. All right. That's good. That's good. I uh, <laughs> appreciate that, uh, that uh, you've got a supportive wife. I know that that's important for a lot of family, uh, a lot of builders with uh, wives and family. Uh, and uh, that's something that's been important to me as well. So uh, no, it, getting that, it, getting, yeah, getting it's that, absolutely critical. Right. That honey-do list has to be down. You have to have some of those things knocked off or you just don't get the, you just don't get the support. So I, um, you, you've also, uh, you know, you've, you, you still own that cozy four that you built. And I know that it's, uh, it's going through a makeover. Uh, it's, a, it's, I've seen it myself. It's a really nice example of a cozy four, uh, plans built any, any modifications and this, this mod this, this, uh, panel upgrade you're doing and makeover that you're doing. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. So uh, the plane started flying in 2002 um, with what was then a pretty standard six-pack panel and uh, an old radio and a, well, uh, uh, SL-40 uh, radio and, a, and an old narco transponder. And over the course of the last 18 years of flying, uh, it's been modified and upgraded and I've thrown things at it and uh, added... Um, a few Dynon instruments and engine monitoring equipment, uh, but it, it's still over 18 years had turned into a mishmash of, of uh, steam gauges and electronics. And there really wasn't a whole lot of planning to what it was. And um, I, I, uh, I'm IFR rated and I uh, do fly IFR every once in a while. Not, not a lot, but sometimes. And so I wanted, uh, as, as VORs are going away, and there are very few ILS and, and localizers um, out there, I wanted the ability to fly into more airports if I had to shoot an approach. I wanted something a little more reliable. I knew that I had to upgrade, at least to some extent, for the ADS-B mandate for this year. Uh, and I also wanted something that... Um, was going to be more of a showcase for the customers of Burnside Aerospace. Um, and at the same time, decided to refinish the, in if I was going to tear out the instrument panel and replace it, well, I also wanted to refinish the inside of the airplane, which was 18 years old and getting kind of ratty. Uh, so uh, the, the work that I've done over the past four months has been essentially taking out the whole electrical system, uh, the whole instrument panel, um, all but a few of the lighting wires and um, stripping the whole inside of the plane, uh, having it repainted with new Zolotone uh, paint, and then uh, designing a full electrical system uh, using Bob Knuckles Aeroelectric Connection Z14 drawing as the basis for a full dual bus, dual battery, dual alternator system and um, and uh, an aluminum uh, 
black anodized engraved instrument panel with a Dynon HDX uh, dual screen system. Uh, Steinair did the um, wiring harness for the avionics and all of the infrastructure is in place for the second Dynon screen, which I can't afford yet, and the GPS, Garmin GPS 175, which I also can't afford yet. But the infrastructure is there and all I need to do um, uh, is fly around now with the single HDX screen. Uh, I still have a Narco Nav 122 in the plane, which allows me to do VOR, uh, localizer, and ILS approaches until I get the GPS 175 and the second Dynon screen, and then uh, I'll be able to shoot an approach into any airport that has GPS approaches. Um, so the, the, the point of all this was to just make uh, cross-country flying, especially in IMC conditions, safer. Um, to update the panel so that it didn't look like uh, I had just grabbed a bunch of uh, instrumentation, put Velcro on it, and thrown it at the at the panel, and just left it wherever it stuck, and um, um, uh, increase the uh, safety level of the airplane with the dual bus uh, electrical system. So that's that's kind of the uh, the point. Uh, most of what we do with the plane is cross country flying. And um, this just uh, opens up uh, uh, the ability to, to go more places uh, at more, uh, uh, more times and, and do it uh, safely. So it sounds like the cobbler's uh, children finally have shoes. So uh, you- Yeah, to some, to some extent <laughs> that is true, yeah. You mentioned uh, Burnside Aerospace, for those that don't know, um, that's your business, of course. And, uh, you know, you do, you do um, work with uh, other canard owners and builders uh, to help them with aircraft. Tell us a little bit about Burnside Aerospace. Where are you located and, and uh, what kind of work do you do? So um, uh, about seven years ago after leaving Icon Aircraft, uh, I decided to resurrect Burnside Aerospace, which was a company I had started back in 1983 doing some uh, engineering consulting for um, experimental aircraft builders and which had been resurrected once before um, after I had gotten uh, laid off from Phillips in 2004. Um, but this time, um, uh, after having gotten my airframe and power plant mechanics license in 2007, uh, I had the ability to do condition inspections on experimental airplanes. And so I decided uh, after 30 odd years of being an engineer, 30, 35, that I really wanted to work with my hands more than my head. And I had worked in a machine shop when I was in college. I had uh, built a lot of uh, stuff, not just the model airplanes when I was a kid and just really liked working with my hands. So uh, I started Burnside Aerospace again, um, doing, uh, doing condition inspections and pre-buy examinations. Um, and uh, modifications, upgrades, uh, repairs, any sort of work that experimental amateur-built uh, aircraft owners might need. I would say about 90% of my work is on canard aircraft, usually very easy, long easies and cozies, but um, I've worked on sea winds, I've worked on RVs, uh, I've worked on uh, uh, Sonexes and, and a number of other uh, airplanes as well. Um, or coots, you name it, I've, I've touched them. Um, so it's, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I've worked on 
probably 120 different end number airplanes. Um, I have a bunch of regular customers that I do condition inspections for, and I'm always uh, welcoming new customers. And um, it's just, it's been, it's been really great. Um, if nothing else, my stress level is a lot lower because uh, I don't have a lot of meetings to go to. So um, yeah, that's, that's for Inside Aerospace. That's what we do is a web page and uh, uh, it's just been, it's just been a lot of fun. There's, there's some other um, companies. There's another company you worked for. Uh, well, not worked for, but uh, you work for Scale Composites and Many of the listeners know that uh, Scale Composites has um, been responsible for uh, a lot of the um, big innovations in aerospace uh, in the last uh, last couple of decades. And um, you know, it's a place that a lot of us would have uh, wanted to work or, or would like to know more about. Uh, tell us more about your Scale Composites adventure. Uh, yeah, Scales is a very interesting place. I had originally applied to work there in 1998 um, uh, when I left Bose after working there on, on headsets for a year. Um, but uh, they, they at that time were a, uh, did, did not pay very well. Uh, they, they paid 30% under scale uh, for the kind of work that I was doing. And, and I couldn't afford to do that and didn't want to move to the West Coast. But then in 2004, after getting laid off uh, from Philips and, and doing um, engineering consulting for about nine months to a year, um, which was going very well, uh, but I, I wanted a full-time job. I wanted at least the illusion of security that a, a paid position um, would give. Um, Scaled had just finished the uh, Spaceship One flight, and Mike, had, Mike and Brian had won the uh, X Prize, and one of my friends suggested that I should apply to them again uh, with the knowledge that my son was going to be going off to college in 2005 and that moving out to California wouldn't be uh, as much of a disruption to our lives as it would have been seven years earlier. Uh, so I, uh, I contacted Scale through one of the uh, employees of Scale who was on the cozy mailing list. Uh, submitted a resume, got it put on the VP of engineering's desk, and eventually, over the course of six months of bugging them continuously over the phone, uh, eventually got them to um, call me out for an interview, went out for an interview, uh, talked, to, uh, talked to the VP of engineering, who then brought me to Bert, uh, had an interview with Bert, who was completely uninterested in me until I mentioned that I had built a Quickie Q2 and a Cozy Mark IV, and all of a sudden his ears perked up and he was interested in my life and what I had accomplished and um, uh, in, in possibly having me work for scale. Uh, and that was one of the main criteria that he used was did people use their hands? Had they built things? Um, you know, were they proactive in making things happen? Um, so that was very interesting. And then in September of 2005, I started, I started working there. I had no expectations about what Scaled was going to be, and I was willing to do absolutely anything there, including sweep the floors, if that's what they wanted me to do. And um, so I got a few small, small jobs there, uh, just learning how Scaled worked, uh, understanding uh, uh, the way they analyzed composite structures, uh, Worked a little bit on the X-37B, um, 
and then eventually started working on Spaceship, uh, did the architecture for the pneumatic system for Spaceship Two, um, which is used to deploy the feather, uh, feather lock system, uh, the air for breathing in the cabin, uh, and anything else that was pneumatically powered, including landing gear uh, extension on the on the plane. Did a little bit of work on the um, um, uh, other parts of Spaceship Two. Eventually, did the system safety analysis for Spaceship Two, White Knight Two, and Rocket Motor Two, and then 2008. Um, took over the Rocket Motor 2 program um, after the first accident had occurred in 2007 that killed three of our co-workers. And for approximately three, three and a half years, I ran the Rocket Motor program managing um, the engineers and the technicians on the program, as well as the subcontractors that were doing a substantial part of the work on the Rocket Motor development. Uh, and then... Um, it, 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 Scales is a very interesting place, um, um, very uh, willing to take risks in, in how we design things. Bert always said that unless you were failing half the time, you weren't trying hard enough. Um, there were an, an amazing number of extremely brilliant people there. I learned so much from everybody else that was at Scales when I was there about aerodynamics, about structures, about aircraft design, about um, fabrication, uh, just seeing how Scales built airplanes and, and how the technicians um, were able to put together airplanes incredibly quickly that were in extremely high quality uh, taught, me, taught me a ton. And since I had finished my airplane, the Cozy, before I got there, uh, I would then go look at my plane and start planning in my head how I was going to upgrade things to match the quality that I was seeing at Scaled. Um, Scaled no longer is what it was um, when I joined in 2005, 15 years ago. That was sort of the tail end of the historical Scaled. Um, there's not a lot of uh, the old timers left at this point, and there's not a lot of the small, really fast moving projects left. I think it happens a little bit, but not as much as it used to. And, um, uh, you know, as all companies, uh, Scaled evolves. It's now 100% owned by Northrop, um, and it's kind of turned into a development house internally for Northrop. But I, I really treasure the seven years that I worked there, uh, made a lot of friends, learned an incredible amount, and um, it, it was a wonderful experience. Well, thank you for sharing uh, that, uh, that bit of history, uh, Mr. Zeitlin. That gives us some insight into um, what life was like back then. What, uh, one last question, then we'll go. Um, what is your favorite flight? In general, like the your you, like if you if you're gonna go out, you're gonna take your cozy up, maybe take a dini with you. What is your what is your favorite uh, favorite type of flight? Is it a long distance cross country, go to Half Moon Bay, or or go to Canab, or what? What's your favorite flight in your cozy? So, um, Dini's favorite flights, I would say, probably since she loves the beach, is uh, jumping in the plane. And since we live in the middle of the desert here, and it's about a three to four hour drive to get to uh, the shoreline, um, she really likes hopping in the plane and flying over to um, uh, Oceano and taking a walk on Pismo Beach, uh, having lunch up there, and, and then flying home in the evening. 
And that's a relatively short flight, maybe a half hour. I would say um, the flights that I like are the longer cross-country flights where I'm going somewhere with a purpose uh, and where the flight makes the trip possible where otherwise you wouldn't do it. Uh, you just, you know, you're not going to jump in your car and drive 12 hours in each direction for a weekend where flying for two, three, three and a half hours makes the trip um, uh, simple and easy. Uh, I also just love flying out west because it's beautiful. You know, you get 100 miles visibility all the time. And uh, I love the mountains and the desert. I'm sure you appreciate the the western weather after having lived back lived back east here where where I live and uh you know you get maybe uh uh one good weather day out of 3 <laughs> it seems like on average so yeah having 300 320 vfr weather days a year is uh, is really something so thank you for your time today and we appreciate uh, you joining us for Canardcast and uh, we look forward to seeing your new instrument panel at the next big event. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure and uh, a you. lot of fun. Uh, Mark Zeitlin. Hi, Canard fans. You've been listening to Canardcast, a production of the Canard Owners and Builders Association. I'm Mike Beasley, the editor of the Central States Association Magazine, which is a quarterly publication of the association. The Canard Owners and Builders Association serves enthusiasts of rutan design and rutan-inspired canard aircraft by providing an online repository for photos, articles, news, forum conversations, canard cast, as well as a searchable member list so members can connect with other canard builders and flyers. I invite you to join us by going to www.canardowners.com and click on the member sign-up link at the top of the page. Dues are $39 for one year or $70 for two years. We also offer a digital-only version for $25 a year. Finally, if you enjoyed this CanardCast, please consider donating toward or sponsoring future CanardCasts. Just go over to anchor.fm, that's A-N-C-H-O-R.fm, and click on the donations link. Well, thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in for future CanardCasts.